Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. In the wake of a devastating pandemic and economic recession, we stand at the precipice of a new age of globalization and of leadership, a time in which leaders must adapt new skills and capacities for their organization and networks. Those words introduce the ideas put forth in the Georgia College Leadership Forecast. The Leadership Forecast seeks to provide expert analysis on the current leadership environment and offers considerations for leaders as they guide their organizations in the year to come. Joining me today to introduce the inaugural findings of this assessment of current challenges and opportunities in the post-pandemic world is Georgia College's Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock. Harold, thank you for joining me again today on Georgia College Connections. Thank you, Daniel. I'm glad to be with you. And so this forecast centers the impact of the pandemic and the challenges and opportunities brought with it uh, to current and future leaders. Can we begin our conversation describing the civic, social, and business climate as is pertinent to leadership in the modern day? Of course, that's a great place to begin. Our forecast uh, begins by taking stock of the year 2020, the year when the COVID-19 pandemic took America and, and the rest of the world by surprise, created an acute economic recession, changed the nature, of course, of the labor market. Um, those are things that, of course, we would see in the news. But as we show in the leadership forecast, there were effects in all types of organizations. There were effects not just in the private sector, but in the public sector, in the nonprofit sector, in the way that people interact with one another, and in the way that people interact with their organizations. So we wrote this leadership forecast with the idea that 2020 and all of the changes that maybe we experienced because of that year, it's a good time for leaders to take stock of how they practice their leadership, how they guide their organizations, and how they practice leadership in their community. And as one reads through the forecast, of course, uh, the pandemic is this sea change event, uh, but there are very many currents that are actually culminating together. Um, I have a small question um, and, and then a larger one. Uh, was the pandemic the genesis of this effort to create the forecast, or was this one of those uh, moments where it made ideas that were already out there oh so much more important to communicate? Yeah, it's certainly the second. And as you point out, there are, are sort of major events that are, are prompting a sea change in the way we as individuals connect to our networks and connect to organizations. So one of the major ideas that we focus on in the leadership forecast, for instance, deals with the competition for talent. Organizations certainly are in competition with one another for the best and brightest talent to bring onto their staff and, and so forth. And that has been the case long before the, the pandemic, but certainly the COVID-19 pandemic hastened that as something that organizations needed to consider. Likewise, we discuss, we analyze ideas of Industry uh, 4.0, or the fourth industrial revolution. That's something that specialists have been focused on and writing about for years before the COVID-19 pandemic. But we certainly saw the COVID-19 pandemic hasten those considerations and, and really bring them to the forefront for leaders as they guide their organizations. And of course, some of those things that you just mentioned are things leaders are reacting to. Are there any currents in leadership and how it's changing either to uh, address some of the things that you just described or perhaps things that are organic in the way that we are leading our organizations and our communities uh, right now or have been on the arc of doing so in, in the recent past? Yeah, some of what we write about in the leadership forecast deals, for instance, with strategic thought. And whether or not we would have had a COVID-19 pandemic in the past year, 
uh, this forecast would have dealt with strategic thought, how we organize scarce resources, how we mobilize those resources to affect some sort of major end. And what we found, of course, is that in the year 2020, with so many radical changes within our communities, our businesses, and our organizations, that it certainly changed the nature of strategic thought, of operational efficiency, of, of tactical maneuvering within organizations. So the ideas are consistent over time. But of course, the nature by which we execute them is going to be different in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. And before we go on too much further, in your previous response, you mentioned an idea that, as you said, has been ongoing, um, the thought about has been ongoing for years and years and years, but perhaps we're on more of a precipice into it now. But uh, this idea of the fourth industrial revolution or industry 4.0, before we go too much farther, uh, might you talk a little bit about that and introduce that to anyone who uh, may be encountering this idea for the first time? Certainly. Um, I should begin uh, first as a teacher and as a historian by recommending that folks who are interested in this concept look at the book that introduced it. The author is Klaus Schwab, and I believe it came out first in German, Industry 4.0, but the English edition is The Fourth Industrial Revolution. The idea of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, as I said, was introduced by Klaus Schwab, who's executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, And he explains in his writing on the Fourth Industrial Revolution that a new global architecture is currently under construction, one that he says will redefine how individuals relate to one another and how they'll relate to the world at large. So he encourages readers to think about how will artificial intelligence or robotics or the Internet of Things autonomous vehicles, 3D printing, nano and biotechnology, new ways of harnessing and storing energy, how will they redefine how we as individuals interact with one another and with our communities and with the world at large? So we can take that a step further and think, well, what sector or organization will be immune to these disruptions? Small businesses, for instance, have to consider how the gig economy has the potential either to disrupt or to augment their operations. Take, for example, during the pandemic, how many people started relying pretty heavily on delivery services, major logistics operations from UPS or Amazon and so forth. So how might things such as the gig economy disrupt traditional small businesses? State and local governments might need to consider how to tax and regulate the sharing economy. Universities will, in the years to come, be reconsidering how they support lifelong learning, micro-credentialing. Community organizations and civic clubs might adapt to the fact that many of their members will have increased mobility. The likelihood of a person settling into a community and staying there for 50 years and keeping up that membership in a local organization, a chamber, a civic club, or so forth, has gotten smaller as the years have gone on. How might organizations of all sizes and scales adapt to a changed cybersecurity environment or manage the risks associated with increased digital infrastructure? So the the idea of the fourth industrial revolution is that we are living through something that is fundamentally going to change the way that we as individuals interact with one another and how we interact within society. Well, and of course, uh, commonly when uh, we live in a community the size of Milledgeville, hear about these as ideas. Uh, We're just at the end of this uh, major moment uh, shared by everyone across the planet. Um, When you describe this fourth industrial revolution, uh, some things are familiar to me. uh, Some things still sound like they are in the future. Uh, But for you yourself, Harold, I mean, are you starting to see uh, these winds of change even here in the middle of middle Georgia? Yeah, absolutely. Teaching as I, I do at Georgia College, I see, for instance, how the world that my students are going into is different than the world that I went into maybe 20 years ago when I was was their age. Um, you know, young folks, college graduates today are uh, far likelier to have multiple careers over their lifetimes. They're far likelier to 
to have multiple careers over their lifetime, to need more lifelong learning opportunities, chances to maybe come back to college or university and and freshen their technical knowledge, practice their skills a bit. And that's pretty new, I think, as a concept for a lot of colleges and universities that have traditionally seen bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, sort of prepackaged credentials as synonymous with qualification. But the reality is, Daniel, that you and I will likely do a lot of learning in our careers, will sort of be in and out of learning environments. It's pretty natural working as we do at, at a university, but for a lot of our students who are graduating from college today, they're looking for additional opportunities to learn, to practice, to credential themselves almost as quickly as they leave us as graduates from, from the university. Uh, so that's one example that I see coming, as I do, from a, a background in, in education. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock, about the inaugural edition of the Leadership Forecast. You can learn more about the Leadership Forecast and read its 2021 edition at gcsu.edu slash forecast. But stay tuned, because we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. describe the changing nature of the university in higher education, uh, of which we are both uh, practitioners. How do you open yourself to be a student of this evolving landscape that may uh, uh, very much challenge the way that we were taught and also the way that we've evolved to understand uh, that which we are doing here in higher education. In other words, uh, how do you practice what we are preaching here in the leadership forecast? For me personally, it's it's quite easy to continue learning. You know, the nature of teaching and working with students is that I am always learning. That's something that it's a great advantage of of the work that we do as educators and, and working as we do in a university. The idea in the leadership forecast is that all of us can benefit from considering some of the major trends and ideas that are unfolding around us and try to put into context ourselves and the things that are closest to us, the people we know, the organizations that we're a part of, the communities that we live in, and so forth. So some of the ideas embedded in the leadership forecast are that these are major changes that are underway. These are major things that we would want to consider as leaders, as members of a community, as members of an organization. And we should consider what the effects are going to be on us over time and on our organizations and communities over time. So the way that the leadership forecast is organized is around four major trends that we identify. Those four trends in the 2021 forecast deal with balancing risk and innovation, deal with strategic reckoning, also the competition for talent, and on trust and mistrust within organizations and communities. Within each of those trends, we give some background, we give some major ideas for, for our readers to consider. We also give some recommendations in the form of key assessments. So within each of these major trends, we identify key assessments for leaders to consider and to put into their leadership practice in the year to follow. So for instance, within our key assessments, we suggest that Leaders should work with their teams to review their organization's stakeholder analyses in 2021. Every organization has a stakeholder analysis, has a, some consideration of who they serve, why they serve them, what groups maybe benefit most from their services or from membership. But of course, that's changed pretty dramatically in the past year. The nature of COVID-19, a lot of folks suddenly working from home, maybe a little less reliant on certain services and more reliant on other services, 
has changed the way organizations serve their stakeholders. So we encourage, for instance, as part of our key assessment for organizations, for leaders to reconsider their stakeholder analyses. Some things will likely remain consistent in those analyses, but in other cases, it's a good opportunity to consider how can our organization recalibrate itself in the wake of 2020, in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, I, of course, want to ask you to walk us through each of the four trends that y'all have identified. But before we do, uh, can you talk about how y'all came to these four trends and allowed you to identify them as important ones that you wanted to communicate to leaders and then also uh, communicate uh, tools and resources with which they might take advantage of these trends? To answer that question, we might begin by specifying who this forecast is meant to serve. We recommend the the leadership forecast for anybody who has an interest in leadership for the public good. Georgia College, as a liberal arts institution, for us, leadership is really a sacred principle. We want our students, we want our stakeholders to learn and practice leadership, not as a personal proposition, but as something that is inherently a civic good, something that is meant to serve a purpose greater than ourselves, something that is meant to serve the community and others. So we encourage folks who are interested in in that concept, leadership for the public good, to read this leadership forecast. People who are in private enterprise, employers or consultants who are trying to build and sustain a culture of empowered leadership within their organizations. We encourage C-suite leaders and and, uh, directors of organizations, members of boards of directors, as well as nonprofit executives to read this. We encourage public sector leaders, uh, including local and state elected officials and policymakers, to engage with the ideas of the leadership forecast, particularly given Georgia College's focus on leadership for the public good and civic leadership. Those are things that really can bring a lot of people together around the ideas that we have worked on and have developed in this leadership forecast. Well, and given, again, that broad audience, how did you boil down to four uh, guiding ideas that you thought would be useful to those people who you were targeting with this publication? Each of the four trends our our readers will find really would serve all of us, uh, you know, sort of equally well, whether we are in private enterprise or in the public sector and so forth. Ideas such as balancing risk with innovation, that's something that every organization needs to consider, whether you're a publicly traded company making decisions about how you will um, operate within the marketplace and allocate resources, or whether you are a civic organization or a club or a a local chamber of commerce or a, a local organization We all have to identify how we will balance uh, risk with innovation, particularly after the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the things that we find is that organizations are naturally going to be more risk averse. Organizations that are more risk averse are are less likely to innovate. They are are likely to perhaps protect uh, their resources rather than be innovative. So that's a tension that we explore in the leadership forecast. That's one of the ones that I found uh, surprising. And maybe that speaks more about myself than it does about the the findings of the leadership forecast. But you would think at this time where uh, so many of us were forced to innovate on levels uh, large and small, uh, that that kind of experience uh, would allow us to be a little bit more welcoming of risk and perhaps see the rewards that could be garnered by waging a little or a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And and you and I see that in particular working as we do within a university, how quickly schools, colleges, universities changed the nature of their operations very quickly, adapted the classroom experience and learning to a, a blended environment, a hybrid environment, in some cases, a fully remote online environment during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, and you're exactly right, Daniel, to say that, you know, through the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of our organizations saw themselves adapting and innovating in ways that we probably wouldn't have thought possible beforehand. Speaking for myself, I, I had to figure out ways of adapting and doing things that I probably would not have tried otherwise. But conversely, one of the things that we found in the leadership forecast is that we will likely see organizations and leaders in the coming year working to conserve and protect key resources, 
maybe make fewer major capital outlays. They're probably going to be more risk-averse in terms of taking on greater overhead or continuing costs, so things like hiring new employees or creating new positions. One of the things that we saw, uh, particularly related to leadership and how we as leaders may practice our leadership, is an increased presence of executive and and board-level leadership in day-to-day operations and management. That's to be expected, of course, during a pandemic and during the year 2020, we did see senior executives, folks who who are typically uh, not engaged in the day-to-day decision-making or operations of an organization, get very involved in how their organizations would operate in this changed environment. But we find that that tends to make uh, organizations a little more risk-averse. Um, and of course, y'all give that observation with a, a large note of caution in that it can actually hinder progress and hinder, uh, even more importantly, innovation. Yes, that's that's absolutely right. And here I draw from an excellent article that came out in the last few years in Harvard Business Review by Peter Drucker about exactly that topic, that there's a fine line between senior-level leaders, C-suite leaders, members of of boards of directors, getting involved in the operations because they are trying to save the operations, and then staying in those operations, perhaps for too long. For instance, in the forecast, we say that during the pandemic, of, of course, that makes perfect sense for CEOs, presidents, and so forth to become intimately involved with the operations of an organization. Typically, those are are folks who are dealing with major strategic questions of an organization. But in a crisis, organizations don't necessarily need some sort of new broad strategic plan or initiative. They need brilliant tacticians. And the difficulty that we find and, and that we write about in the forecast is that those unexpected occurrences can often derail the sort of broader strategic ends of an organization. So we encourage uh, our readers, we encourage uh, folks who are interested in, in these questions to use the additional insight and experiences that they've gained over the past year to reconsider what is my role in the organization and, and are we properly uh, equipped and, and resourced. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Monk, about the inaugural edition of the Leadership Forecast. You can learn more about the Leadership Forecast and read its 2021 edition at gcsu.edu slash forecast. But stay tuned because we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. response, uh, you brought up a, a key distinction that uh, you all focus on, and that is the difference between strategists and tacticians. Uh, might you talk about that distinction and why it is an important one that y'all would bring forward in this forecast? We deal in the forecast with major concepts dealing with strategy. Strategy is, is a little bit of a pernicious word. It's one that's often overused and underdefined. Literally from Greek, strategy refers to that which is the purview of the generals. It is a military concept that has been adapted and appropriated into a lot of other contexts, including business and the private sector. Typically in organizations, strategic, operational, and tactical levels of analysis, strategy is what reconciles an organization's resources with a given end. Put simply, it is how will we take the limited things that we have and achieve the major, possibly boundless goals that we have? Strategy inherently involves trade-offs, often making difficult decisions about what to do and what not to do. The operational level deals with how do we realize that strategy on a day-to-day basis? How do we design processes, procedures, and an infrastructure 
to support it. And then finally, the tactical level, tactics uh, translate operational effectiveness into individual actions. How am I going to maneuver and adapt to the changing nature of the problems to be solved on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. And of course, that um, helps bring us to one of your second trends, which is a strategic reckoning. We've been talking about it this entire time. Um, but as the way that I wrote it out of my notes, it almost um, you'll request reflection on uh, that overarching strategy and then how um, those this this moment in time changed those operations right then. Uh, but you're asking people to kind of catalog of that process of overcoming that challenge and seeing how it can serve you in the future. Uh, might you talk more about your second trend, which is a strategic reckoning, unless you feel you've talked about it enough. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a, a trick that teachers use. Uh, sometimes when we don't have all the answers, as we say, well, you should reflect on that a bit. So we do in the leadership forecast, encourage organizations to reflect on what they have learned about their strategies, about their operations and tactics, but perhaps most importantly about their culture. There's a famous adage that, that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And we have certainly seen that play out in the past year. The very best strategic plans could be derailed by an organization's culture across the COVID-19 pandemic. So we encourage our readers, we encourage leaders of organizations of all shapes and sizes to consider what they have learned about their organizations in the past year and in some form to reflect upon it and to document it. Because in the coming years, we will see lots of references being made to changes that unfolded in 2020 and 21. And it's important to identify some of the things that we saw unfold in our organizations about people, about operations, about strategy, and about culture. So in particular, I might think about a business consultant or, or somebody who, you know, has to work pretty hard to understand the culture of an organization. We have a great opportunity right now to reflect upon it, to document it, to talk about it with one another. And do you have any kind of advice that you can give? Uh, because as I hear and read this idea about taking the time to reflect, I know my personal experience is that we are off and running now. And there is these thoughts of a surge in business um, as we get back together. And, you know, that time to reflect is often something that falls all the way down the imperative list for me. And I imagine that's the same for many of our readers. Um, do you have any advice for actually trying to gain uh, from this tumultuous time by doing what you're talking about in recording uh, how we got to where we are now. Yeah, what you're saying, Daniel, reminds me of Dwight Eisenhower, who used to say that the urgent crowds out the important. There are so many things that are important for us to do. And I imagine, uh, you know, taking this maybe in a different direction, if if you were to ask anybody what's important to them, they would say things like, well, my family, my health, uh, my, you know, my loved ones, my friends, my faith. But if you look at our calendars, if you look at how many of us spend our, our days, oftentimes we're just dealing with what's urgent. We're dealing with what pops up. We're dealing with, you know, the, the latest fire that has to be put out. The same thing is true in organizations as well. Any organization probably can tell you what is important to that organization. They'll say things like, you know, well, we value our customers, we value our people, we value our culture. But if you look at how people spend their days, it is often not necessarily directly focused on those things that we say that we value. And COVID-19 was a, an unwelcome opportunity to reflect on some of those things. I know I found myself suddenly missing things that I, I never knew that I appreciated so much. You know, working at a university, the thing that I quickly realized that I missed the most is just bumping into my students in the hallway or on the sidewalk, things like that. And I think that's true for a lot of us. Uh, you know, the, the changed nature of our work in the past year made us really reflect on some of the things that are inherent in our organizations that in some cases, we've just come to take for granted. Maybe we appreciated it, but without immediately recognizing it. So we encourage in the leadership forecast leaders to 
used the insights and experiences that they gained during the COVID-19 pandemic to reckon with some of their organization's strategic precepts. Additionally, we tell them everybody during the pandemic gained some new knowledge. A lot of us were doing jobs that we had traditionally not done before, took on roles that we were unaccustomed to. Let's use that additional knowledge to show appreciation to those who are regularly responsible for those sorts of things. I know I immediately became much more appreciative of folks with uh, advanced IT knowledge because I suddenly was taking on a lot of that myself. A lot of us, too, needed to find new ways of tolerating uncertainty. There was a lot of uncertainty in the past year, and you know we certainly were frustrated by it, but there were things to be gained from living in an uncertain era as well. And likewise, I found myself, I imagine you did, and a lot of our listeners did, that we were collaborating with people we maybe hadn't traditionally worked with. That was one of the silver linings to the pandemic was was collaborating with folks and and learning things that I didn't know I was going to learn. So those are just a few examples of how we could use the new knowledge that we have, use the the difficult experiences that we've had over the past year or 18 months to think more comprehensively about the organizations we are a part of. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock, about the inaugural edition of the Leadership Forecast. You can learn more about the Leadership Forecast and read its 2021 edition at gcsu.edu slash forecast. But stay tuned because we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Now, earlier in the conversation, you were talking about those things that we communicate as important, uh, but yet sometimes are crowded out uh, by the many fires that we have. I want to use that as a hook to go to uh, your next trend, which is the competition for talent. Um, Of course, one of the things that we talk about is we uh, value the people who make it happen all the time. Uh, But yet um, many of the headlines, uh, true or not, are talking about uh, this kind of divorce uh, between the human resources and the organization, i.e. the employees. Y'all talk about uh, this competition for talent, um, but also a need to develop that talent uh, within and increase the commitment uh, to those people who make it happen day in and day out. I've probably said too much, um, uh, but I'll stop myself now and ask you, uh, might you talk about that uh, third trend, uh, competition for talent, uh, something that we're hearing so much about, uh, and give um, a greater shading with what you've learned uh, through the publication of this leadership forecast? Yeah, it's an, it's an excellent question. One of the ideas that we reference in the leadership forecast was published last year by the Georgia Chamber of Commerce that recently projected that uh, talent and leadership development will drive every economic decision in the coming decade. Traditionally, when we think about talent and talent development, we're often talking about it as a principle within private sector organizations. How can we compete and retain the best talent? How can we keep them within our organization? The leadership forecast addresses that, but takes a little bit of a different tact and also uh, encourages organizations, perhaps organizations that don't rely on recruiting talent in the private sector, to consider where is the talent coming in your organization? Is it from your members if you're a club? If you're in the public sector, if if you're in government, is it from the career civil servants? Is it from the folks who outlast sort of political changes, and we often take for granted perhaps the work that they do. So we encourage our readers, um, and I encourage our listeners here to consider not just talent as as a private sector proposition, but all of the many people and forces that make our organizations and communities strong, that make them what they are. 
we suggest in the leadership forecast that talent development is uh, more than simply acquisition. It is more than simply recruiting the best new talent into your organization. We tell our readers and, and I would tell our listeners that it's important to find innovative ways of, of nourishing the talent within your organization, your organization's membership and stakeholders. A recent uh, study out of Oxford University concluded that happy workers are more productive and uh, often outperform their peers by, uh, in this study, at least 13%. And what we saw in the past year is that for really the first time, uh, certainly in our lifetimes, but in the modern era, many of us were pushed to work from home, work remotely, in a lot of cases with limited advanced planning. And for a lot of us, it was pretty difficult to figure out how to balance that. So organizations now that uh, a lot of people are returning to the workplace, returning to the office, are finding ways of rebuilding their cultures. The unspoken habits of interacting and working together, some of the implicit ways that we build relationships and trust, that we come together to serve an organization and its mission. But that said, a, a study from McKinsey said that what they call pandemic fatigue is still going to be around even after we seem to be back in the swing of things. Uh, and it's important that leaders consider how they and how their organizations can contribute to combating that sense of pandemic fatigue, perhaps a sense of grief at loss from some of the ways that we used to do things, and find ways of healing the culture within their organizations. And of course, that's going to look different at every organization. Uh, but is there any sense about best practices that are coming out to uh, go beyond what we feel is the traditional role of work to delve into the outside of work life of those within our organizations? I mean, that's got to be quite, quite a leap for many leaders, uh, one that uh, they may uh, prior to now have never seen as part of their purview. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you're right. We're all learning how to do this at every level of an organization. We offer some key assessments related to exactly what you're suggesting, Daniel. One is uh, to find ways of maintaining appropriate work boundaries. Um, managers and leaders need to model appropriate boundaries against overworking. The Economist warned recently against what the author identified as toxic productivity, the, the kind of overwhelming but unhealthy compulsion to fill every single hour of the day with work-related activity. For a lot of us, particularly working from home, some of the traditional boundaries around our work life sort of evaporated. Folks with childcare responsibilities, for instance, might find themselves checking their email late at night because it was the best time to get some messages sent off and so forth. And while those things may have a short-term benefit, I've, I've you know, gotten my inbox down to zero or down to a manageable level, it can also have corrosive effects in the long term on an organization. And leaders, for instance, might consider how junior employees or how members of their organization would perceive it when the manager is sending a message at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Well, am I supposed to do that? Am I supposed to respond right now? Am I supposed to give him a call? Am I supposed to write her an email? So those are things that we consider. We suggest, for instance, that leaders find ways of, of maintaining appropriate work boundaries. We also suggest that leaders find ways of allowing work to be stimulating. You know, there is certainly a lot of opportunity to be had in this newly configured world of work. And we suggest, for instance, consider how some of the change nature of our work might actually prove beneficial. For a lot of us, what is urgent, crowding out what is important, actually helped us to see new elements of our organizations, new elements of work that might allow us to say, hey, I, I really enjoy that, or I, I liked learning that new skill or, or seeing this new element of an organization. So how might we use this newly configured environment to provide for instance, new learning opportunities, professional development opportunities, and so forth. One of my favorites is a recommendation that we have to limit meetings. I remember right as uh, many of us were, you know, very quickly learning that we had to work from home and so forth. Uh, I remember seeing a cartoon or a, a meme that said, uh, I guess we're about to figure out what meetings could have been emails. And that is certainly the case. So we suggest in, in the leadership forecast 
organizations considering throwing out the rule books on meetings. A lot of us had to find new ways to share information, to collaborate, to update our colleagues, to stay up to date on, on changes within the organization, within the profession, and so forth. So we don't necessarily have to retrofit our old ways of operating into a new environment. So we encourage our readers to consider, for instance, limiting meetings. And then likewise, we suggest as part of our key assessment, you know, I think many of us learned how much we value interacting with our colleagues, with our friends, with other members of our organizations. And we suggest in the leadership forecast actually communicating that, communicating to our colleagues, to members of, of our organizations, how valuable they are, how much we value their partnership, how much we value what they contribute. Because for quite a while, many of us did feel disconnected from our colleagues, from one another. There's a lot of opportunity now to say, I really enjoy working with you, or I really appreciate what you contribute, or I really value what you said, and so forth. Uh, I know for me, those things mean a lot. And I, I think that's true for a lot of our readers. You're listening to a conversation with Georgia College Director of Leadership Programs, Harold Mock, about the inaugural edition of the Leadership Forecast. You can learn more about the Leadership Forecast and read its 2021 edition at gcsu.edu slash forecast. But stay tuned, because we'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. talk to you now about uh, the fourth trend. And I think this uh, is one that talks a lot about what we do in the media and, you know, a lot about the current moment in this post-pandemic world. And this is trust and mistrust. As I just said, uh, you say those words and I jump to my own uh, sphere in the way that I think about it. Uh, but I don't want to stray too far from the point. Uh, so might you talk about this fourth trend, uh, trust and mistrust? I am not by habit uh, personally an optimist, uh, but we do adopt an, an optimistic tone on this question of, of trust and mistrust that organizations, including governments, companies, organizations of all shapes and sizes, right now they have an unprecedented opportunity to rebuild trust and affinity among their members and among their stakeholders. We're living through a wholesale transformation of the role of the individual within society. And uh, this is an example, Daniel, of major trend that has been unfolding over the past two to three decades that we address in the leadership forecast that over the past maybe 10 or 20 years, Americans' trust in government, in the news media, in public institutions, in education, and in one another has declined faster than at any rate since the 1960s. In just this last year, the Pew Research Center released a series of pretty sobering findings showing that those unprecedented levels of distrust and how they have shaped our attitudes toward, for instance, the business sector and civic life. Now, it's more than just a nicety of public life that we, we have trust in organizations and businesses and government and civic organizations. We deal in the leadership forecast with a concept called civic health. And using the definition put forward by the National Conference on Citizenship, we identify civic health as how communities are organized to identify, define, and address public problems. In short, how we come together to do things that are bigger than our own individual ability to do them. So civic health might refer, for instance, to the degree to which we might talk with our neighbors or spend time with family and friends, participate in community groups, vote, talk about politics, act with another person to further some sort of civic interest. And we know that higher levels of civic health 
have net positive impacts on communities. Uh, So, for instance, communities with higher degrees of civic health tend to have lower violent crime, better public health outcomes, and so forth. So we deal with trust and mistrust in the leadership forecast, saying that this is a great opportunity for businesses, nonprofits, civic organizations, governments to rebuild some of the trust that perhaps has been lost over the past 10 or 20 years. And of course, Harold, you are a student of history. I mean, are there any kind of guiding examples that we can take from the not too distant past or perhaps the distant past? Um, As you talked about the decline in trust, you talk about it's been the most precipitous decline since the mid 60s. Um, We're roughly contemporaries. I remember, you know, growing up with a a great sense of uh, civic pride, uh, you know, great sense of of community where I was. Are there anything that we can use to capitalize on this opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. I remember in March of 2020, I was teaching and, you know, pretty quickly working to get my students adjusted to being at home, perhaps with the possibility that we would not be returning to a classroom on campus. And in our first class that was not in the classroom, but was over Zoom, I set aside a little bit of time to talk with the students, and as you said, as a, as a student of history, I asked them to consider, you know, what would you tell your children and your grandchildren when they ask you, what was it like in 2020 when the COVID-19 pandemic uh, disrupted your life? Uh, and I, I equated it. I told them, you know, this is going to be one of the moments of your life that in the future people are going to ask about. In the same way I asked my parents about the Kennedy assassination, or I remember as a child, the Berlin Wall opening. Uh, You know, many of us remember where we were and what we were doing on September 11th. You know, the spring of 2020 is that moment, I think, for, you know, this current generation of college students. And I encourage them to consider what would you want to tell your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones, when they ask you one day, you know, what was it like to see that, to live through that? And, of course, I can't escape the comparison to, you know, a sort of Pearl Harbor-type moment when suddenly we were all focused on one thing. We were all, as a community, as a country, as a world, focused on, remember, two weeks to stop the spread, finding ways of not overwhelming our healthcare system and our public health institutions. Um, So I think that despite all of the difficulties that you and I and our communities have experienced over the past year, there is certainly a lot to be optimistic about. And, you know, I take a little bit of a different view on this than I think the the sort of prevailing popular opinion. You know, popular opinion, I think, holds that, uh, that Generation Z, our sort of current college-age students, are they tend to be uh, self-interested, self-focused, They're maybe a little too focused on, uh, you know, things that are on social media and not on what's unfolding in the newspapers and so forth. But my view is that that story tends to get it wrong. Um, You know, working with these students, teaching them and talking with them about the ideas that are embedded in this leadership forecast, I see a generation of young people who are intensely concerned about the world around them. They're very interested in the major questions that will shape our lives and their lives, questions about income inequality, climate change, protecting the environment, leaving the world and our communities a better place than the way they found it. Um, The challenge, and where I think a lot of analysts get things wrong, is that they don't always know how to express it. They don't necessarily have the same degree of trust in major public institutions that perhaps you and I did, being a little bit older than, than this group, Um, So they tend to not know, for instance, how to take their ideas and bring them to government, express their ideas in the public sphere. They're a little less trusting of the media, of newspapers, a lot of the mechanisms of public life that uh, perhaps I grew up with, my parents, my grandparents grew up with. They're less prevalent today as a part of public life, civic clubs, trade unions, uh, bowling leagues, little league teams, things like that. So I I tend to think that there actually is a, a good deal to be optimistic about as this current generation of young people comes of age.
And so we're coming close to um, the end of our conversation today. I want to ask you, you've got the forecast out there. What indicators will you be watching to see the validity of the ideas that you're putting forth and um, how they interact out there in the world? Yes, certainly. So as you pointed out, Daniel, this is our inaugural leadership forecast. Um, when we publish Leadership Forecast 2022, we plan to grade ourselves uh, and uh, you know see what, what did we identify correctly? What warrants further consideration in, in 2022? What conversations do we need to have within our communities and within our organizations in the years to come? I encourage, in particular, you know, our, our readers and our listeners here today, Daniel, to check out our website. They can go to gcsu.edu slash forecast. On that website, uh, of course, they can access and, and read the leadership forecast in its entirety. We also have some short summaries and, and a toolkit of resources to help people who are interested in these ideas put them into practice in their organizations and in their communities. So I would encourage our listeners today to, to go to that uh, to go to that webpage um, and find some of the resources that we have there. We also have some great opportunities um, and events that are listed on that webpage. Again, gcsu.edu slash forecast. We're hosting an event in August called A Short History of Next Year, in which we identify and, and work with some of these major trends and how we can expect to, um, to see them unfold in the year to come. We've also organized some more focused discussions of how these major trends will impact certain sectors, so uh, business, nonprofit, healthcare. Uh, so we encourage people to join the conversation at those events and and uh, share their ideas with us and help us to shape the next leadership forecast. Well, Harold Mock, Director of Leadership Programs at Georgia College, I want to thank you for coming on Georgia College Connections to share that invitation to our radio audience to engage in this leadership forecast. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. You've been listening to a conversation with Harold Mock about the 2021 Leadership Forecast. Harold Mock is the Director of Leadership Programs at Georgia College. You can read the inaugural edition of the Leadership Forecast and learn more about Georgia College's leadership program at gcsu.edu slash forecast. On behalf of WRGC 88.3 FM, I have been your host, Daniel McDonald. I hope you enjoyed spending a portion of your evening with me here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you again next time. <laughs>